Audiologue 1, I guess. So, something weird happened, y'all. I've, I've released these last few episodes, and I... I think in doing so, I've found or, or touched something or someone. Uh, something or someone who's traced it back to me. Made contact. Um, so at about 3 a.m., my house shook. Like, really shook. We get little quakes here in the Rockies, but nothing like this. I thought maybe something exploded nearby. I've felt that before. But it felt deeper, like it was coming from underneath the house. And there was no boom. I thought maybe it's the big one. Maybe the Yellowstone caldera finally blew. But no alerts, nothing on local news, nothing anywhere. And no obliteration. After about an hour of scouring various news sites and social media to alleviate or, I don't know, distract myself from the fear, I noticed that the house felt somehow different. An eerie stillness had set in, like the air after a thunderstorm. I'd been pretty convinced that I wouldn't get back to sleep, but I drifted off as I started to feel the change. I thought it might have been a dream, but this morning, something definitely felt different. There's more humidity in the air. It didn't rain, and I haven't refilled the humidifier in days. And the smell. Sweet. A little spicy and pungently earthy. Fertile. Surprise, surprise. My nose led me to our unfinished basement. Should have checked before for structural damage or whatever, but that's not the point here. I found a hole or a cave full of water down there. I I only got to the mouth of the cave, but I'm going to go in. I just I figured I should document whatever I find, or I guess in case anything happens to me. Though I doubt there'd be anything to find if I disappeared into a spooky basement hole. I'm not really scared. Uh, who am I kidding? I'd be an idiot if I wasn't scared. It doesn't feel hostile, and there's not some insatiable drive to go into the abyss, like a Lovecraftian cosmic horror style. Though I guess pitcher plants smell sweet to lure in bugs. Alright, alright. I'm psyching myself out now. Let's just do this. Okay, here we go.
I can almost touch the bottom. It's, it feels like a tunnel, and it continues, but just barely under the waterline. I'm going, I'm going to keep going. Moment of truth, I guess. Shit. It's... Where am I? It's beautiful. So... The... There's a stream coming out of this side of the cave. And outside of it, there's trees everywhere. Cotton in the air, so thick I can barely see. But it looks like the trees open up ahead. Oh, it's not just a clearing, it's a, a whole meadow. The smell, it's the same as in the basement, but so much more intoxicating. And is that wood smoke? Oh, a little plume curling up into the sky up there. Oh, tall grass. There's still so much cotton in the air. And pollen, I guess. The grass looks like a golden sea in the breeze. The rainbow of wildflowers poking through. I truly cannot fully convey how surreal this place is. There's more trees on the other side. There's a pond up ahead. Stream looks like it flows into it. And the meadow almost makes a perfectly circular ring around it, and then the trees around that, and beyond mountains, they must go all the way around too. Oh wow, it's, a, it's like a little hobbit house, some sort of earthen mound hut. I might have missed it if it wasn't for, for that plume of smoke. And the pond behind is, whoa, it's so deep. It's, cr 
crystal clear, but I can't see the bottom. Okay, this hut, this door is really something. It looks like a single slice of a huge tree, about shoulder height on the black as pitch. And there's a face. It looks like it's pushing through the wood, like a the wood's a membrane. It looks like it's sleeping or dead and sunken. Almost mummified. And underneath an equally mummified looking hand that's holding a big metal ring which is also black. Do I knock? I've come this far. I have to knock, right? gonna sound crazy but the when I knock the patina on on the ring exploded into the air and it's mixed with the the cotton and the and the pollen and the ring is now fresh brass. Okay and we go Well, that was a lot of creep factor leading to what? It really just seems like a cozy little house. There's just one room, but there's everything you'd need. It's bigger than it looked from the outside. And I guess given everything else, it doesn't make much sense to ask who started this fire. I guess I should head back in a bit, but I think, I think I'll hang out for a little while. I've been sitting here by the fire for who knows how long now, thinking about the strange journey here, thinking about thresholds, crossing them. And I'm reminded of a time I went cliff jumping with some friends. It wasn't a high cliff, but once you hit the water, you swim directly to the rock wall and grab a rope and pull yourself to an underwater cave. I wonder if there's some inspiration there. And in that, I, I think about water as a representation of the unknown, the underworld, the other, how it's a 
an entirely foreign and inhospitable place for us, for our bodies. We can only visit. It's a long tradition of that symbolic interpretation of water. And the surface of the water is a threshold, not knowing what's on the other side, especially when you can't see below the surface. And in making the jump, in crossing the threshold, sometimes you need a lot of prep time. You need to stretch more, amp yourself up, take a couple runs at it. I know I did before my jump. And I knew I was going to do it. I knew it was safe. My friends had already done it. But something needed to shift. Something subconscious and visceral. And I eventually did it, and it was a great time, and the underwater cave was really cool. I think this podcast, for me, feels similar. Releasing felt like jumping off a cliff. It touches on some of my own deepest fears. Fear of taking up space. Fear of finding or acknowledging my voice, both literally and figuratively. Fear of doing a bad job around sensitive topics. And those fears in the water metaphor can look like massive leviathan shadows underneath the surface of the water. Some of them we know what they are, some of them we don't, but we know that they're scary. So I prepped and prepped and prepped for over a year, chipping away, sitting with the fears, working through them, and I'm still working through them. Every episode goes directly to the source. And I'm reminded of the Sufi poet Rumi, who said, paraphrase here, that the cure for the pain is in the pain. And that's reflected in natural wisdom as well. When an antidote to poisonous plant often grows very, very close by. And as I was pondering writing this and thinking about it, I drew a rune, and I think that it is particularly prescient, as we hope <laughs> divinatory readings are, and I want to share with you the reading about, about the rune that I drew. This is from the book Nightside of the Runes, which is a, an esoteric uh, analysis and interpretation of the runic symbol system. The rune I drew was Turs or Turisas. This is the rune of the giants and the Thirses. It represents the two primal forces of chaos, the giant realm Muspelheim, the world of fire, and Niflheim, the world of ice. These worlds are inhabited by fire Thurses and rhyme Thurses, respectively. Thurs represents the extremes, the forces and worlds that are outside the order of the cosmos. These are the forces of darkness that are both frightening but also contain the wisdom and power of creation. The two primal forces of chaos are driving the world forward, 
and are preventing it from becoming stagnant. The forces of chaos are, in the end, destroying the gods and their world to enable the creation of a new world. Thor's is the other, the antithesis and the opposite. Thor's is the world of giants, trolls, and all dark beings. The giants are often fighting with the gods, but the gods are receiving their wisdom from the giants who are in possession of the utmost wisdom. The giants are a race of gods who appeared before the Aesir. The twin being, Ymir, belongs to the Thur's rune and the number two. Thur's is also associated with witchcraft and dark magic. In the divinatory interpretation, this is as follows. Chaos and conflicts, which can lead to new possibilities. Thur's is the rune of the giants, and they live in a world outside the known world. But Thur's rune symbolizes the importance of daring to go out into the unknown to find something new. The unknown can appear frightening at first and force one into chaotic situations before it is understood and mastered. Thur's rune is the rune of black magic and witchcraft, and it reveals the possibility of choosing unusual forces and solutions. Thur's also reminds us of the strength and learning that one can get from leaving the ordered life and entering a wild nature or other new environments. In a life analysis, Tours can advise one to balance old conflicts and oppositions. A new creation arises through the balance between the two primordial Tours realms, Niflheim and Muspelheim. In thinking about those realms, fire and ice, I began to think about some of the dynamics going on in the world, the challenges to navigation of the chaos going on and an imbalance in those worlds or in our relationship to them. Fire as transformative with the potential of destruction but also creation or destruction to make room for new creation and ice as crystallizing, as preserving, solidifying, stabilizing. And so, I think related to ice, I'm reminded of puritanical or reactionary traditionalism, rising or gaining more of a foothold in the world or asserting itself more forcefully and blatantly freezing everything, stopping all movement. And on the other side, which as a lover of change, proponent of change, and someone of the mind that a lot of things need to change, it's often hard to entertain the idea of a puritanical or reactionary progressivism. But I think that exists as well. A mind of everything new being good, no matter what it is. Ideas of linear societal progression, technocratic approaches, and Eurocentric ideas of what what it means to move forward. And I think we're seeing that these are as I said, out of balance. They are often set in opposition, they're in conflict, 
and perhaps between the two, about a rebalancing of the two is a necessary threshold. It's that, that third way. An example that comes to mind comes from my study of anti-authoritarian Islamic theory. I was doing some research on anarchist streams of Islam a few years ago, and a, a concept that really struck me was the term ijtihad. Basically, it's a Quranic maxim that is tied to those teachings being a guide regardless of time period. And so ijtihad is a divinely imparted responsibility to think critically about the teachings, and if they don't apply to the current world around you, it is your responsibility to adapt them so that they continue being relevant or are, are still useful. And so there's that balancing of acknowledging the existing teachings, acknowledging traditions, and also moving moving forward. And so these giants that live in the underworld, that live in these realms of chaos, can also be seen as those leviathan that swim under the water, that are on the other side of that threshold, that exist in the land of the unknown, and in that light perhaps they are also our ancestors, be they genealogical, ideological, spiritual, and they are our eponymous hungry ghosts. They are both dangerous and wise. Sometimes they offer us lessons about how we, I don't want to say should, but lessons about how to interact, how to relate to the world. And sometimes they're lessons about what not to do, or warnings about pitfalls. A lot of trickster stories fall into that realm. And as I've alluded to before, we're also hungry ghosts, and everybody's got to eat, but this is not catering. It's a potluck, it's a cookout, a barbecue, a communal hunt. And we're seeking across the threshold, the threshold of perhaps generations of shame, across isolation, conventions, and so on, for lost beasts of the deep to know, perhaps to taste, to eat and digest, to be nourished by those ancestral soul beings. But they are hungry too, and it's our responsibility not just to take, but to give back as well. And so we feed them. We feed them ourselves, feed them our prayers, our fears, our joys, grief, love, hate, pain, rage, songs, and dances, and laughter too. Whatever we carry across the threshold with us, so that they might taste and eat and digest to know us, so that we might share a meal, which is a transformation of them and a transformation of us, which fuels the creation and discovery, synthesis of something new, a crossing of a thousand thresholds, but informed by collective memory and a familiarity with what has been. 
And so what gave me the courage to finally take the plunge was realizing or remembering or finally internalizing that I'm not alone in this. And I don't know, nor do I necessarily have to know, what I'm doing. I can trust that I know enough to begin the journey. I don't have to know what's on the other side and then bring the knowledge back to teach others about it. That's some perfectionistic, paternalistic savior bullshit. It's a Herculean story. The special boy conquers the unknown version of the hero's myth we're so culturally obsessed with in the West. And there's always some fear of that place beyond the threshold and its denizens, which is probably a healthy, humble approach. It is, after all, vast, unfamiliar, and ultimately unknowable by nature. But I think so many of us learning under the direct or indirect tutelage of a Christianized or Abrahamic-dominated world or dominated cultures have been taught a different kind of fear. The dark, the unknown, is a place of judgment, condemnation, and punishment. Ignorance is bliss. To seek the unknown was original sin. I think it's a more existential fear tied to one's own immortal soul, isolated and alone. Many have been further isolated lately with pandemic and other massive changes and crises going on. And perhaps it's hard to reconnect given all of that. I know it has been for me. I feel the current thresholds viscerally and part of me feels the desire to retreat stay in the safety of old habits and old comforts, the false promise of safety and isolation, as well as the desire to take the risk, on the other hand, expand, explore the unknown, and connect. Drawn on by those very myriad, unrelenting, and accelerating changes in the world. At a certain point, it feels impossible to resist the calls to transformation that are appearing. A rushing torrent which cracks the old shell make room for a new one to grow, a new container, a new vessel. And then therein lies the question of rest and retreat. Again, a, a balancing act, action and non-action. The give and take of our limited and stretched thin energy reserves. How much is enough rest? How much is enough action? Enough, enough, am I enough? And I don't have questions. No, I have lots of questions, but I don't have any answers. It's just something that I think about often. And as I've been pondering that, I'm reminded of the spider with whom I've developed a close totemic relationship, particularly the more web-oriented, more opportunistic predators. And that archetype teaches me and reminds me a lot about patience, about doing the work to weave the web, to weave the pieces together and then to sit and watch and wait. To not necessarily go chasing, but to feel for when something vibrates one of the threads. And when that happens, you strike or seize the opportunity, follow the vibration in the thread. In our next two-part episode, among other things, we begin to touch on individual journeys and initiations, threshold crossings, as well as those done collectively, and the importance of finding a balance in the two. So I want to point out what feels like an important difference for me. 
difference between individual and isolated. Even in individual practice, individual development, in every transformational moment that we encounter, that we follow through with, that we engage with, whether we know it or feel it or not, I think we are joined by our human, non-human blood and chosen ancestors. And when we seek deeper understanding or accept our inability to understand something, I think we are joined with them, we connect with them, as well as the larger forces, entities, what have you, that swim with them in the depths. And again, not all of them are friendly. Not all of them give positive reinforcement. But they're all there and they're all a part of us. And I think we have to know them. We have to get to know them on some level. We have to connect with them. In closing, I'd like to read another runic interpretation as the layout of them, especially as proposed by the Uthark. The runes are laid out in pairs, connected by the ring or spiral. And so the pair to Thurisas is Dagas. This is the day rune. It denotes daylight itself, rather than the day as a period of time, although it does represent the time between dawn and dusk. Dagas represents illumination, clarity, and awakening. It is used as protection against witchcraft, and was often carved on doors and windows. Dagas is the rune of culmination. It represents the zenith and the climax. The Jara rune represents the year cycle when it turns at the winter solstice, and Dagas represents the summer solstice. Dagas is the highest point of a cycle and the beginning of a new. It is similar to the butterfly and represents the step out of the chrysalis and into a new reality. As I read that, it's the stepping into the sun, it's the experience after crossing the threshold. It's illumination, whether the lesson from crossing that threshold is affirmative or not. The divinatory interpretation is as follows. Awakening, a new day, clarity in consciousness. The day rune describes how one is arising from the chrysalis and attains a new consciousness through rebirth. A new day is reached by leaving the old behind. And now I think it's time to head back, recross that threshold or perhaps cross a new one going the other way. Thank you for accompanying me to this strange, magical, magnificent place. We'll come here together many more times in the future. It seems ripe for this kind of thought. And I look forward to meeting the people who come to spend time with me in this place, whether just with eyes, ears, or by contributing voice as well.